Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The Bigger Picture with Ryan Huang. Money FM 89.3, it's the breakfast huddle with Elliot Danker, Barrett Ejectors, and Ryan Huang. It's time now for The Bigger Picture. Oh, Amy Winehouse, I think, was famous for saying back to black. We are saying back to red in mm. regard to Wall Street, aren't we? And one of the major factors propelling this, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, underlying a lot of the developments that you'll be watching today, Ryan. Yeah, back and forth in the past week and the past year, actually. So a lot to watch out for and plenty of leads for investors to keep an eye on with a few developments, especially uh, US President Joe Biden and Europe meetings allies to discuss new sanctions. Already, Russia is making its own moves, demanding for payment for its natural gas in rubles. Now, let's get a bigger picture from Shane Oliver. He is the head of investment strategists and chief economist at AMP Capital. Morning, Shane. How are you doing today? I'm good, Brian. Happy hour too. Hey, Shane, let's dive into what's happening with the Ukraine war. And you've got Russia now making the headlines with its um, plans or demands to seek payment in rubles for its gas sales from what it calls unfriendly countries. Is that a realistic scenario when you look at how, you know, we've got the EU buying up nearly 40% of its gas needs from Russia? Who do you think will blink first? Well, I must admit, when I first saw that headline, I thought, well, this is a bit odd. You know, a country which is desperate for foreign exchange to make its payments suddenly saying, oh, they don't want foreign exchange, which is worth something. They want uh, depreciated rubles. Mm. Strikes me as a bit odd. So I'm a bit unclear as to precisely what the logic is. Maybe they're thinking, well, we're not going to be operating in the rest of the world anymore. We'll be operating on our own or in a much reduced e- economic sphere. And uh, therefore, we'll have no need for euros and US dollars. But I must admit, it is a rather confusing demand. Um, uh, but nevertheless, it did uh, push up the gas price. And and add to the uncertainty along with the prospects for more uh, sanctions to be placed on uh, Ukraine. And uh, I guess the bottom line with all of this is that the Ukraine war, which has now been going for four weeks, um, is still far from finished and still far from finished in terms of its impact on financial markets. Yeah, talking about sanctions, we've got US President Joe Biden in Europe talking to his allies. Um, We could see more new sanctions coming through and also measures to enforce the current sanctions. What are you expecting in terms of impact on markets there? Look, I think no doubt that will add to the uncertainty and that's what we saw overnight and to some degree we're seeing in Asia today until we get some clarity what those sanctions are. It's hard to see them getting much more severe though than what they've already been. I mean, there's talk that they're going to sanction all of the Russian parliamentarians or most of them, um, but that's not going to have a huge impact. Um, Now, short of Europe saying that they're not going to import any more gas or oil from uh, Russia. It's, it's hard to see a further impact from additional sanctions. But nevertheless, um, they do add to the sense of escalation occurring around this. And of course, uh, we're yet to see how the, the, the war unfolds. You know, are we going to get a peace deal or are we just going to see a further escalation as Russia pushes its case uh, on the ground in, in Ukraine? Horrible for the Ukrainian people, but obviously that could also impact financial markets. Yeah, and also um, what's worth watching is um, how the European Union manages this energy crunch right now. Um, They have outlined some plans to jointly buy gas to sharp supply, so effectively making natural gas cheaper for themselves. I'm just curious, how much does this push back their plans to go green? Because they've been trying to, in a way, diversify to other sources, but at the same time, they have a hard time transitioning. 
they do, and these things take time. Now, there's lots of countries which have gone quickly on the shift to renewables and then found that there's some problem. You know, the sun doesn't shine, so the solar doesn't work or the wind doesn't blow, and then you end up with a shortfall and you're forced to uh, tap global markets or, or grids, nearby grids if you can. We've had a few episodes of this in Australia mm. ourselves. So th- this transition phase can be difficult, and, of course, Europe or Germany particularly and a few other countries in Europe were relying particularly on gas as transition uh, fuel to ultimately end up with the more sustainable sources, you know, wind, hydro, solar and, of course, storage factories. But that, we're not there yet. You could try and speed that up, but you're, t- you're still talking about years, not weeks or months, which is what is required here. So I think the reality is that uh, Europe, particularly Germany, does remain reliant on uh, Russian gas for some time to come. I mean, of course, they can tap other markets, you know, Norway particularly or or the US, but there's only a limited supply of gas globally in the short term. And if, of course, they do tap those other markets, it means high gas prices globally. So there's no short-term easy way out of this. Renewables is a long-term solution. It's the way to go. Um, but it's not going to solve the problems this year. Yeah, uh, Shane, that really brings us to our next point. Uh, higher prices and inflation. And if you look at what's um, been in the news for central banks, you've got the US sounding more hawkish, thinking about bigger and faster rate hikes. But there's a bit of a divergence going on. You've got China going the opposite direction. And Japan in the minutes of its latest policy meeting out this morning saying loose monetary policy is not going away anytime soon. So Shane, what do investors need to watch out for here when you've got this divergence going on between the major central banks? Well, potentially it could be good for the Asia region. I, I mean, Asia's got, Asia's got its own issues, you know, resurgence of coronavirus cases with Omicron and so on. But uh, in a big picture sense, it, many Asian countries don't quite have the inflation problems that Europe and the US have, which is a good thing. Japan is amongst that group and, of course, China. Um, so that means central banks in this part of the world need not be as bearish as we're seeing in other parts of the world. And in fact, in China, with inflation being very, very low, the PBOC has scoped to ease monetary policy. So that's a good thing for this part of the world. I guess, though, you know, there's still a risk that this part of the world does import energy and oil. Uh, and therefore that is a, a key source of risk for inflation down the track. So you don't want to push that line too far. But I think what it does mean in the short term anyway, you've got to see less hawkish central banks mm. in Asia compared to Europe, uh, the US and the UK. All right. We've been hearing Shane Oliver. He is the Head of Investment Strategy and Chief Economist for AMP Capital. Shane, always great chatting with you and we'll catch up again with you soon. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. All the rest of the day, day ahead. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.